Dance, Music, Sex, Romance. Or DMSR for short is the fifth song on Prince's 1982 album, 1999. DMSR is a really danceable, funky track. And Prince lets his uh, fears and insecurities kind of go along the wayside in the name of having fun on the song. Uh, Some of the things that he was kind of uh, fearful of in the first few tracks on the album, like nuclear war or not being uh, classy enough for a certain fast girl, (laughs) Little Red Corvette, (laughs) uh, are all gone here. It's all about having fun. And uh, joining me again to discuss DMSR at least the lyrics of DMSR, is Christy Norman. Hi, Christy. Hi, it's a pleasure to be back. Thanks. I'm, I appreciate you coming back on the show. And, um, you know, welcome back. And it's been a Thank bit. You. So yeah. if, you, uh, if you could remind our listeners what you're up to and where people can find you and kind of what you're doing Prince-related and maybe even non-Prince-related. Sure. Um, well, my husband and I are the co-hosts of The Mountains and the Sea, which is a Prince podcast where we look at the highs and lows of each and every Prince album. We also look at ancillary material and videos and fashion, all kinds of stuff. And we pick our favorite thing and our least favorite thing in a time capsule. And you can find us on Twitter. That's probably the easiest place to find us at TMATS, T-M-A-T-S podcast, The Mountains and the Sea. And then I have another uh, podcast called Killer Fun, where we explore the intersection of crime and entertainment. And I do a lot of research, and my co-host Jackie is a psychology grad student. So she always has really good insight in looking at what's entertaining and what can the entertainment inform about our understanding of humanity so it's kind of fun and we laugh a lot too so you can find us on twitter at killer fun pod awesome cool thank you thank you thank you so on your guys's podcast on the mountains and the sea the one you do with your husband josh yeah you guys have covered 1999 haven't you we have yeah we did that back in february of 2019 we looked at it, talked about it. And of course that was prior to the announcement that the estate's going to re-release with lots of additional material. So we'll probably revisit a lot of that. Yeah, that's fine. Um, it's, It's great. It's great to have a little bit of intersection between podcasts because, you know, your insight um, is useful for my podcast. And, sure. and so that's why I have you on the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's a pleasure. I, you know, if I didn't like Prince music, I wouldn't make a podcast about it. So <laughs> exactly. I love talking Prince. I'm happy to be here. This is, and DMSR is just such a great song. It's the party that Prince was calling for in the yep. title track of the album. This is it. This is just, it's the party. It's We're here. Party. Yeah. It's, yeah. The Minneapolis Funk Party, and yeah, um, Prince has got his uh, synths and his Lynn drum machine, and he's ready to go. And uh, what I like about this song, um, besides you know being a really fun song, I, I really dig the groove, the groove. That's the synth line, but it kind of mimics a little bit like a horn line too, which is obviously this is before Prince incorporated real horns into his music. Right. So he's having to use a synthesizer to somehow mimic that sound if that's what he was looking for. Yeah, and kind I of felt, a bass sound too, right? Like, oh yeah, you can oh, play yeah. this. There's a lot of ways to achieve this, which yeah. is why it's so like recognizable. 
Yeah, it's just infectious. Absolutely, 100% yeah. infectious. And, um, it, and this is a long song. It's almost eight and a yeah. half minutes. Yeah. So it, it needs to be infectious and not get repetitive if you're going to drag a song out for over eight minutes. Right. And, you know, I mean, some detractors of the 1999 album may say that some of these songs go on too long. Uh, I've never been one to make that argument because for me, as long as it sounds good, as long as it um, the music is strong enough to sustain a seven, eight, nine minute song, then uh, go for it. You know, I don't have any problems with that. It's just when it gets when the song, the uh, bass song is kind of boring to begin with and it drags on. That's when I have maybe some issues. But Yeah, well, I want it to go places if it's going to be long. Give me something new. Give me something to look forward to. I'm fine with a long song as long as it's got something new to share with me after, you know, yeah. three or yep. four minutes. Don't, you know, I need, I need to go somewhere. But if it's going places, keep it, keep it rolling, man. Let's yeah, stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on that. Keep <laughs> the party going. All right. So uh, DMSR wasn't a single in the United States. Uh, it was released in the UK as a single. It was the third single from the album. Um, instead of delirious like it was in the u.s which is weird because in the uk it was a single but i think they added it as a single and i could be wrong about this but i feel like it was a single because in a lot of configurations of this record early early cd configurations at least this song was left off (laughs) which is crazy (laughs) yes so okay so i actually have the whole confusing release history i wrote it all down go for it so it was (laughs) The B-side to the 12-inch single in the UK, which was the first single from the album. So 1999 was the first single. It was the B-side on the 12-inch. Then it was also the third single in the UK. Then it ended up on the Risky Business soundtrack here in the US Mm -hmm. in 1984. Then it was the B-side to the 1998 reissue of 1999. And then you're correct that when the CD first came out in the early 80s or mid 80s of this album of 1999, it was left off because there could only fit 74 minutes of music on a CD. So they left it off because it had been on the Risky Business soundtrack. So there was a way to get it on CD in the U.S., and that's why they left it off. Mm-hmm. And then as the technology improved, of course, they added it back in. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I, I never a, had a CD version of this that was missing DMSR, because by the time oh, I got it on CD, it was already like the 90s. So okay, I was good. I always had DMSR. I, I yeah. never it. I don't know how we ended up with both copies of it, but we did. We've got one without and one with. Oh, yeah. Well, it's got to be, you know, pretty old. I mean, because that's a, yeah. I, I don't know when they corrected it. I'm not exactly sure. I but, think it uh, was uh, late, real late 80s. Yeah. So you've got a mm-hmm. very early version. And if you've got the one without. Yeah. I don't think it's particularly rare, but yes, it's an early version. <laughs> yeah. So no, you're not sitting on a gold line, I guess, but whatever. No, no. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, double album. And this was, um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I believe it was the last last song on side two. I don't know. That I don't yeah. know because I've never okay. had a record version of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I think that's correct. I think side okay. one 
was uh, 1999 Little Red Corvette Delirious, and I think Side 2, you flip it over, Let's Pretend We're Married to DMSR. So those five songs made up the first record. That makes sense, because the first three songs ended up getting played consecutively on the radio. It was like a Stairway to Heaven situation where they needed something long so they could go take a break, and they'd play all the, the front side of the album. Yeah, so that's makes, like I think you're correct. I think that's a solid like 12, 13 minutes of music right yeah. there that <laughs> DJ can just pop on and yeah, take his get little a cup of coffee or break whatever. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's very cool. Uh, so yeah, DMSR, like you mentioned, was on the Risky Business soundtrack. I did quickly look at a YouTube clip of the scene in Risky Business that DMSR oh, was okay. played. Uh-huh. It was a, a scene where Tom Cruise is being interviewed by a, a Princeton. Uh, administration officer and he's throwing a house party because that scene I don't I haven't seen Risky Business at Tom but I just remember a lot of scenes where Tom Cruise is ha- throwing parties at his house right so, <laughs> so naturally this was being played in the background in a party scene because it's a party song right so it makes perfect sense to go along with that scene it was left off of different configurations added back on released as a single in some places not as a single in other places Whatever version that you heard, however you heard it, DMSR is, as we already talked about, a very danceable, upbeat, uh, funky track where it's got a, a memorable synth line, uh, a really memorable like uh, bass. Yeah. Everybody knows that bass. Mm-hmm. And, um, the lyrics, you know, in this one, it's all about partying. I mean, we're going to get to it, and I think we're yeah. probably going to get started here really soon with the verses. And there's some interesting things in here. So, kicking off yeah. the first verse, yeah. it goes, everybody get on the floor. What the hell did you come here for? Girl, it ain't no use. You might as well get loose. Work your body like a whore. Say, everybody, get on the beat. We're going to show you mothers how to scream. People everywhere, loosen up your hair. Take a deeper breath and sing along with me. Yes. Are you ready? And then goes into the chorus. Yeah. So the first verse, what are you uh, what are you taking away from the first verse, Chrissy? Well, I always love that, like, he's calling you out. If you're not going to get out and dance at the club, why did you go? Yeah. What the hell did you come here for? Why did you go? If you're not going to dance, get out there and dance. And yeah, he's, he's not going to let anybody be a wallflower. Nope. Yeah. He's calling out all the wallflowers that to get their asses <laughs> out on the floor. <laughs> Yep. Like, yeah, exactly. This is this is what we're doing. We're partying, and so that's right. If you're not uh, down with the cause, you need to um, skedaddle, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> because this is what it's all about. So the yeah. the work your body like a whore line oh. is one of those I think that he has uh, changed over time because this is a song that's yes. that has been played. He played it throughout his career. It wasn't one of those that he buried in the past and said, "I'm never revisiting that again." Right. He just repurposed it a bit, and that's a that's a clear um, a lot a clear line where he could make a tweak to it and change it and make it less sexual. 
Yeah, yeah. he uh, frequently changed it in the musicology area era to work it like you want some more. So mm. yeah, that works. Yeah, it's like that's fine. A lot of fans would get upset that he changed the lyrics, but I was like, whatever, man. It's still fun. It's not like he changed the meaning. Actually, yeah. he kept the meaning exactly the same and just used different language that's less demeaning. Yeah, yeah. So I'm good with that. And ultimately, they're his lyrics to change. So Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, he could do whatever he wants with them ultimately, or he could do whatever he wanted with them when he was playing them live. If you want to switch it up a little bit, which he obviously did, or you want to just play it faithfully, that was his choice. And yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, as long as the meeting ultimately is the same, which it clearly is when he changes those line, that line, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, I wouldn't personally have any any beef with it. But so yeah, that's what this first verse is all about: just getting getting everybody, uh, making everybody aware of what the purpose of this song and what what the the goal is. Getting on the floor, yeah. Um, get loose. Get on the beat. Loosen up your hair, take a deep breath, and sing along with me. And then goes into the chorus, and here's where we hear him say, "Dance, music, sex, romance." Yeah, Everybody. in case you weren't sure what DMSR yeah. was. And to be honest, it was. It took me a long time. Uh, yeah. As a kid, I didn't know what DMSR stood for. Oh, okay. Uh, because I hadn't heard the song, so I uh-huh. just saw it. I just saw it on the track listing because I didn't have 1999 yet. But I, I knew of its existence. I saw it on the track listing whenever I would go to like the record store or something, and I would flip it over and I'd see this song called DMSR. And knowing at that point, knowing Prince and knowing uh, a lot of his songs at that at that point in his career were could be considered risque or explicit, I just assumed that it meant something dirty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my mind quickly went there. I'm like, oh, this is this is a acronym because it probably stands for something really dirty <laughs> not not really all that dirty but no, yeah really. yeah <laughs> were you disappointed um no i wasn't disappointed i think it was just i mean the fact that it had sex in the title yeah i guess for you know my my preteen head that was dirty enough you know? yeah so, oh or the s stood for sex so okay that's yeah. that's good enough it wasn't yeah. quite as dirty as maybe i my my imagination was thinking uh-huh. it was but it was at least it wasn't like you know something super uh, innocuous or pg yeah <laughs> there was a little bit of little bit just, of sexual innuendo in there just enough salaciousness exactly just yeah. enough salaciousness yep to keep <laughs> me interested i don't know why they chose to call it dmsr just instead of calling it or why he chose to call it dmsr instead of calling it dance music sex romance and just spelling it all out in the title mm. um i don't know just a, either, a but i really love like the parts where he sings dmsr in the background where they're singing other stuff on top of it it comes much later but you know he's in the background dmsr you know and it's yeah. just it's so cool yeah yeah i kind of love that it's not like so like straightforward yeah so is he saying dmsr during that like that bass that uh-huh. bass line yeah yeah yeah, yeah so cool. the the bass line always gets me and so uh, sometimes i forget that there's words over <laughs> over it <laughs> see yeah. and when i hear that bass line i sing it to myself like i'm singing it well there I'm it is start listening to this song in a different way now thanks chris <laughs> 
35 years, 37 years. <laughs> and I can change it. Yes. <laughs> you got me on that one. The other cool thing now um, that I like about, like, so the first verse, it's really just Prince. Yeah. You don't really hear any background singing, but in the chorus, you got all of these background singers. And, and if you go to, you know, the, the uh, credits, they give, Prince gives credit to a lot of different background vocalists. You've got, yeah. uh, you know, pre-revolution members, Lisa Coleman and Brown Mark. But then you've got all these other names that if you're, unless you're, um, re, you know, really deep into the Prince lore and, and how his music was recorded, and even some characters, <laughs> I call them characters because they have character type names on the, yeah. the credits. You have no idea who these people are. There's uh, somebody named Jamie Shoup. There's mm-hmm. Carol McGovney, Peggy McCreary, and then there's two individuals called Poochie and the Count. <laughs> yeah, and, we're still waiting to find out who they are. Yeah, and they're all given background vocal credits. And so Jamie, Carol, and Peggy, uh, their identities have been uh, documented and we've figured out who they are. Yeah. And kind of like they were just probably in the right place at the right time or hanging out in the studio or whatever. Yeah. When Prince wanted to get this kind of like crowd sound, you know, a party vibe. And so to do that, I mean, in the past, a lot of times Prince would just, you know, double, triple, quadruple track his vocals to make it sound like a party. But, you know, at this point, he's got a band. There's people around him. He's like, yeah, well, you know, I'll get a variety of different voices. I'll get some men, some women. And um, we'll have them all kind of repeat these lines after me to make it really sound like a party. And mm-hmm. and it it ab- absolutely adds to that party vibe of the song by having all these different voices come in and repeat. All right. All right. Yeah. Dance, music, sex, romance. And then you hear everybody in the background singing right after Ooh. he does. It's like he's yeah. a, he's like he's a conductor, you know, and singing the songs and having everybody repeat them after him in the same in the same manner. And it's. It's really cool. It's a really cool sound. Well, and it really always made me kind of think that he really thought about what it was going to be like to perform this live. Mm. That, you know, that because he encouraged this crowd, for lack of a better term, like interaction with it, it was it was him interacting with his future audiences. Yeah. And I just, I always kind of love that, that he was really thinking, I really think that he was thinking about what it was going to be like to stand up in front of an audience and sing this song and how is it going to be fun and how is it, and that's why it can go on so long because it's so fun because you get a chance to participate. Even if you're not, you never see him perform at live, you still, you get this chance to participate while you're listening and it's just, it's so much fun. Yes, you too can be Poochie. That's right. Poochie and the Count. That's who it is. <laughs> That's us. We're we're That's all Poochie. Right. We're, we're all the Count. Right. That's right. Oh, we've solved it. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be proven wrong in the yeah. next month when the, the expanded edition comes out. But Oh, yeah. The liner notes. Somebody finally tracked down Poochie and the Count. Yeah, exactly. But for, for now, <laughs> you, me, now, we're Poochie all... and the Count. Exactly. That's we can right. all fill in those... The big shoes and you're right it's it's absolutely a a song where it, crowd participation is encouraged yeah. uh, even if you're not at like you at a concert if you're just sitting in your living room singing the song you just can't help but sing those backing vocals whenever he says all right and you have to sing afterwards it just feels like you just feel compelled you, to do so yes i mean you're not alive feel like you can not sing back to this 
There's something <laughs> you're dead inside. I'm sorry yeah. for you. Yep. And then he, and then we're the ones, we're the wallflowers that he's uh, railing <laughs> against in the first verse. Then if we can't That's right. Along. That's right. So, um, so yeah, it goes, everybody, all right, dance, music, sex, romance, and then he repeats that. And then we go into the second verse. Everybody, loosen up. Shake it like you just don't care. Never mind your friends. Girl, it ain't no sin to strip right down to your underwear. I say, everybody, screw the masses. You only want to have some fun. I say, do whatever we want. Wear lingerie to a restaurant. Police ain't got no gun. You don't have to run. And now in the second verse is when you start hearing some of those background vocalists during the verse. Like we heard them mm-hmm. in the chorus. Yeah. Didn't really hear them in the first verse. But now they're starting to chime in during the second verse. And, uh, you know, we have some of these repeated lines like shake it like you just don't care. And then you have a female vocal, assuming Lisa, based off the credits singing right behind us, shake it like you just don't care. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and everybody, and then they repeat everybody. Additional lines like that where it's just kind of like, this is just a call and response type verse for sure. Yeah. So he's um, providing more encouragement to the listener, to the crowd, to the party, to loosen up, um, letting your inhibitions run free. Uh-huh. encouraging women to get undressed. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, which is something he really like encouraged of his protégés at uh, this yeah. time. And for quite a lot of the eighties, you know, just well, and for really into the nineties too. like go out there. Here's a Teddy go perform in that in your lingerie, wear that it'll be fine. But to be fair, he wasn't asking them to do anything. He hadn't done himself. Exactly. <laughs> yep he was practiced what he preached he was while there in his underwear yep. too so yep. yeah you're right and he was... did change that lyric um when he performed it in the 2000s but i couldn't find any record of what he changed it to oh the strip right down to your underwear line yeah he changed it to something else but i don't know what that was yeah i'm sure somebody out there knows i don't I'm know sure. either but i don't either i looked i couldn't find it yeah, but at least he's practicing what he preaches, That's and at least right. he's not being a hypocrite. And when it comes down to you know taking off the clothes and stripping down, really just kind of releasing whatever bonds that that person might be uh, might have yeah. uh, mentally, physically, and I guess from the physical standpoint, certainly you know, if you're in a button-down suit or wearing some stuffy uh, clothes that you wore to work, now's the time to uh, kind of take them off and and strip down to something a little more comfortable. And if that yeah. means your underwear, so be it. That's right. You don't have to go home first. You don't nope. have to go home, put on your blue jeans. Just come here and take off your clothes. It'll be fine. <laughs> as long as they've got a, a nice uh, heating system in this uh, place. <laughs> Although I'm sure all the body heat yes. generated by all these people, this party would certainly make it warm enough that it, you wouldn't feel too underdressed. Yeah. So yeah, I get. I mean, you know, I get a lot, 
a little bit more from this one maybe than the second in the second verse and the first verse kind of like the whole screw the masses line where he's yeah. really um kind of saying i don't you know whatever society says is what we should be doing and this just is you know right in line with the stuff that prince had been preaching basically from dirty mind up until 1999 those three records a lot of it was um anti-establishment and 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 not following the the typical beaten path that everybody is taking you know doing what feels right to you um and and screw the masses is kind of like what i get from that is just essentially it doesn't matter if most people would never consider doing this and never consider having letting themselves go and having this sort of fun um this is the safe place to do that yeah I agree. There's a line. So this whole screw the masses and talks about letting your body be free. He does that in sexuality. And I kind of get the same kind of um, vibe from this. So like in the song sexuality from controversy, mm-hmm. he talks about letting his body be free. And this second verse has a lot of, a lot of parallels, I think with that song and just mentioning, um, you know, wearing lingerie to a restaurant, you know, that's not something that you would typically do or see anybody do. And in most places you'd probably get kicked out if you actually did that. But yeah, (laughs) but he's saying police ain't got no gun in this first. So yeah, I'm not sure where he, where he's living. (laughs) I mean, is he talking about the bouncers? He in the UK where, you know, where is he? That the police don't have a gun and just because they don't have a gun doesn't mean they can't kick you out of the restaurant. Yeah. They the sure can. Like, yeah, they certainly can. You know, <laughs> you just have to have a, a very um, willful and muscular bouncer that can just throw you out on your, on your butt if you're not <laughs> dressed appropriately. And, yeah. uh, and if you don't leave, yeah, uh, you know, they can call the police, but I guess the only thing I'm really thinking of with this is that, in this type of scenario and this sort of utopian idea of people being free and doing what they want, there are no policemen with guns that are going to stop them from undressing or wearing lingerie to a restaurant. I mean, it's, it's not real and it's not realistic. It's not the actual world we live in, but this is, this is, you know, uptown, you know, the, the, the idea of uptown still kind of uh, materializing in on the 1999 album, I think in some ways. Agreed. Agreed. This is uptown there. The rules are different there. Rules are different. Please don't have guns. You can wear lingerie to a restaurant. That's so, right. With that much we have figured out so far. <laughs> All right, so then he goes back into the chorus again. So it repeats the same lines, everybody, all right. Dance, music, sex, romance. And then we get a little bit of a um, kind of a musical breakdown at this point.
So yeah, between the second and third verse, we get that musical breakdown, which uh-huh. there's a few of these in this song. And what that does is it does extend the length of the song a bit. Yeah. You know, like maybe normally you might have a short breakdown and go towards like the you know the final run uh, run of the song, but in DMSR, um, this musical breakdown just allows him to kind of get the uh, everybody clapping. You know, we got hand claps, and that's one of the also of the background vocalists credits is also hand claps so yeah you hear hand clapping in the song and he encourages white people at this point to clap their hands on the floor this part is so funny to me it's it's so funny because he says all the white people clap your hands on the floor now and then he gives you a little while to get there and then he counts it off for you because we need a little help to get there. <laughs> as being both of us being white people, we can probably <laughs> attest to that. Yeah, I'm like, yes, as somebody who's not as great with the rhythm, Josh, my husband and co-host on the mountains in the sea was like, well, you know, maybe it's hard to find the four in this song. And I'm like, you have decent rhythm. I, I don't. I think I'm a little, maybe a little more typical when it comes to this. I need a little help finding the four. <laughs> oh, yeah. He counts but it I, down for us. He counts oh, it down for us and he gives us plenty of time, like you said. <laughs> you know, plenty of time to find it. And then, like, let me help you. Yeah. There, there's plenty of time for us to gather our thoughts and, you know, compose ourselves and get ready for the one, two, three. That's right. That's and right. then we can clap on the four. So. Uh, yeah, we clap on the floor. At this point, <laughs> he's encouraging all the white people to clap on the floor. And then he doesn't really give anybody else a chance to do nope. that. Um, that's later. He gives everybody a chance later. Yeah, He, he singles the white people out at this point. That's cool. Uh, we need a little extra help. So um, then we're given the third verse. I don't want to be a poet because I don't want to blow it. I don't care to win awards. I mean, he's he's sing speaking this lines these lines. Mm-hmm. It's just a different song structure, different um, lyrical structure than in the first two verses. Yeah, but, it goes places. Yeah, so he's definitely exactly to your point earlier. The song goes places. It's not just simply repeating more about partying and everybody getting off off their butts. I don't want to be a poet because I don't want to blow it. I don't care to win awards. All I want to do is dance, play music, sex, romance, and try my best to never get bored. If you feel all right, let me hear you scream. And then he screams, of course, because mm-hmm. Prince does those epic screams. Mm-hmm. So third verse, uh, what are you getting from this one? Oh, I let, try my best to never get bored. I think that was the story of Prince's life. Mm-hmm. I think sure he was. was just constantly trying to avert boredom. He was so quick and so ahead of his time i think it was just really he's always trying something new because the thing that is now is already boring to him because he thought of it years ago so i mean it's just it exemplifies everything i think that 
we love about him. Try my best to never get bored. Yep. Yeah. He had that. He, he always wanted to make sure that he had the creative freedom to allow himself to never get bored because yeah. without creative freedom, then he's kind of stuck in a rut because, uh, you know, the music industry and the record labels are going to really be looking for him to do a certain sound, make certain kind of songs. And his creative freedom allows him, has allowed him throughout his career to never get bored by switching up his sound, switching up yep. his style, uh, trying something new, going out on a limb with a, with a new style, with a new sound, new band um new lyrical focus whatever it is that's always been his kind of his mantras to never get bored yeah. and never allow us as prince fans to get bored with his music yeah. which is beautiful beautiful thing about being somebody who um has followed prince for his entire career is it's not boring no not boring. no i always feel so fortunate just to have been able to live in a world where we both breathed air at the same time it's just, it's kind of amazing. And what a time to be alive. <laughs> We're yep. so lucky. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely are. And I and I like to say are because there's still, as we're finding out, there's still a lot of stuff that we're discovering. Um, oh, yeah. Been listening to Prince since 1983, and here I am still discovering new stuff. And it's, mm -hmm. it's amazing. It's amazing it that is. there's still more to be discovered. And I, For that, years and that's years why more. We're, yeah, for many years. I don't think we're gonna we're gonna get bored anytime soon either. No, that's great. It's good. Yeah. It's great to know that. Yeah, <laughs> it's great to know. Oh, that. I'm not. Um, I'm not crying. You're yeah, crying. Yeah. So the whole. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, we'll give you a little time here. I don't want to be a poet. I don't want to blow it. I don't care to win awards. Uh, so those lines, I'm really kind of, um, you know, at this point in his career, he wasn't, he wasn't really winning awards. He wasn't like, sure, he might have been a critical darling, but he wasn't at the uh, point where the critics that he was impressing or the ones that he was um, in favor with were really the ones handing out the awards at the end of the day. Yeah, well, I mean, he kind of says as much in, uh, not to jump too far ahead, but All the Critics Love You in New York, you know, later on in this album, they I'm not winning awards, but they all love me. All the critics love me. Yep, yep, not winning awards, but at this point, he's, he's basically saying, being very defiant about it, like, I don't care, that's not really yeah. my thing. Uh, if you want to give me an award, cool, but yeah. that's not my focus. That's not the goal. Nope, not the goal. So yeah, this this is the verse that is pretty interesting because of these these different lines where he's more kind of speaking uh, more personally, I think, with mm -hmm. this this verse than he had in the first two verses, where it's more encouraging others to to get on board with the dance music sex romance philosophy, and in the third verse, it's more looking in, internally talking about himself. I don't want to be a yeah. poet. I don't care to win awards. All I want to do is dance. 
mm-hmm. try best to never get bored. So th- I like this third verse for that reason because he is looking internally and and kind of expressing his own philosophy on his career, maybe his life as well. But certainly you can make the parallels how these are all things that he looked at for his career and then stayed pretty true to them for the decades in the the future because this was written in 1982 and he was still a very young artist at the time so the fact that he was able to kind of like you know set the standard like i don't care to win awards i just want to never get bored and have play music sex romance i mean because even though he got religious later yeah <laughs> so he always had god and he always had spirituality in his music but he got you know obviously further within with the Jehovah's Witness and and change some of his style, right. but a lot of these aspects, the dance music of of dance music, sex, romance, were still a part of his music. He made still made sexy music after yeah. becoming a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, it was just less explicitly so. Yes, less explicit language, still very sexual. Yeah, I mean, it's who he was. It's not something you can really change no no i don't think he wanted to change that part of no. who he was anyway Mm-mm. well and it's interesting he's got the i don't i don't want to be a poet because i don't want to blow it um i heard a interview with lisa coleman and she was talking about how nervous he was that he felt very confident in his ability to compose like the music but he was less assured of himself when it came to lyrics and she said that he really worked very diligently to make his lyrics something he felt that were worthy of the compositions that he was making and i always thought that was really interesting because i always think of him as an amazing lyricist oh yeah and you know obviously you do too because you're making a whole podcast about his lyrics and yeah. But it's it's so interesting to me. It again it t- shows us what a- amazing work ethic he had that he felt like he wasn't stellar at this and still he worked at it and worked at it and worked at it to really yeah. be the absolute best that he possibly could. Yeah, that's good insight because um Prince always exuded a lot of confidence and yeah. You know, a lot of people that that exude confidence can still have insecurities. I mean, nobody is nobody's perfect, and we all know internally what our what we feel our weaknesses are. Mm. And and so instead of uh, retreating and maybe you know trying to get a bunch of co-writers or not even doing a very lyrical compositions because he didn't think that it was a strong suit, he just worked at it like. Yeah. Like was mentioned just worked at it worked at it worked at it until he felt like his lyrics were up to par yeah and it wasn't that was, play to your strengths it was build your strengths yeah because maybe it wasn't natural for him at the beginning and you know i mean on lyrics on um, albums like for you and and prince those two records maybe weren't the strongest lyrically or you know there were some good ideas there from a musical standpoint but sometimes the lyrics didn't always match it but mm-hmm. you, as we're going through, as I'm going through these records, there's a clear improvement, I feel like, in terms of uh, the lyrics and how they are communicating uh, a feeling or a thought 
and doing it in a very, very creative way. And that's what I liked so much about his evolution as a lyricist is how creative he gets with his lyrics and, and how he's able to turn simple phrases uh, and make them um, complex, yeah. turning simple phrases and turning them complex. And not just for the sake of complexity, but to to really make them interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I love that about him. Yeah. Gives depth. Mm-hmm. You can understand things in more than one way. Oh, that's yeah. Great. yeah. That's why I like doing this podcast, because yeah. it allows me and whomever I might have as my guest to really kind of pour through it and figure out not maybe not figure out, but at least talk through it ourselves, like, and just talk through the lyrics and maybe we'll, you know, provide insight to each other. Maybe we have the same ideas and that's all, that's all cool. But mm-hmm. I think really it's, it, it forces me and forces the listener to, to break these songs down because a song like DMSR, it's so reliant on that groove and, and the music that yeah. maybe some of these lyrics just don't get, um, thought of too deeply or thought of too often because it's not it, it doesn't seem like there's a lot going on in the lyrics but as we're finding out while there's a lot of that there's also this other stuff like this third verse that third verse that we we're just covering mm-hmm. has some very interesting things going on yeah all right so um he jumps into the chorus again and this is in kind of an extended chorus repeats the the dance music sex romance and he really is encouraging everybody to you know, call out after him. Once again, the call and response uh, attempt mm-hmm. here. And it goes on for a bit, you know, dance, dance, music, music, sex, sex, romance, romance. Mm-hmm. And he repeats that over and over. And um, and you're right. They, they so, do have, even in, as I look through the lyrics online, you have like in double parentheses parts where it says DMSR. And that yeah. must be kind of like what you were bringing up when yeah. you hear him saying DMSR in the background. Yeah. So it's like the background, background lyric. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's so, I don't know. It's just the kind of thing that most people didn't do. And so at this point now, you know, got the crowd really into it. And that bass line that that, um, has been very prevalent throughout the song. Now there's some new lyrics that he that he chimes in here, and this is uh, <laughs> this is another very interesting part of the song. It's a spoken section where he goes. Jamie Scott's a thief. It's time to fix your clock. Ninety six is so sweet. Now you can all take a bite of my purple rock. Can we stop? Are you ready? Jamie Star's a thief. It's time to fix your clock. Vanity Six is so sweet. Then you can all take a bite of my purple rock. Can we stop? Love it. Funny Prince is my very favorite. I yeah, love... This is, this is when he was still denying that he was Jamie Starr. So. I know! I'm like, <laughs> Jamie Starr is a thief, okay. Sure. Yep. Jamie Starr, <laughs> the producer of the Times' first three albums. And... Um, you know, at this point in 82, we would have had, the obviously, the, the debut. And I think what time is it had been out by this time. Yeah. At this time. So there was two time records where Jamie Starr was the producer. Uh-huh. And on on record, Prince flat out denies that he's Jamie Starr. And so this is just another opportunity for him to deny 
that he has any involvement in the time. <laughs> nice! Yep. So yep. funny. And then you got the clue in the next line with it's time to fix your clock. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, yes. And he can't even say the time because he was so jealous of how well they performed. Yeah. He said yeah. he was the, they were the only act that he was, he hated going after. And he, you know, he loved them and had fun with them and worked with them and obviously could appreciate that they did such a good job. But he ticked him off that they did such a good job. And then he, I guess he did prank things to try and mess them up. Oh yeah. That's, that's through well eggs documented. at him and things. And yeah, that's been documented. And uh, I'm, I'm reading Morris Day's book oh, as we speak. And so okay. he talks about that. <laughs> he definitely yeah. talks about that. So fun. So it's coming right from the man himself. Yeah. That these aren't just rumors. No. So yeah, the Jamie stars, a thief. It's time to fix your clock is kind of a dig. It's a little bit of a dig at the time. Also, a chance for him to once again to deny that he's actually Jamie Starr. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm imagining, like, okay, I'm a. It's 1982, 1983. I'm buying this record. I might not even have any idea who Jamie Starr is. You know, I might not have bought the Time record. I might just only know Prince because of Little Red Corvette in 1999. And maybe my records or my, um, my radio station doesn't play the Time. Yeah. So I might have zero clue who Jamie Starr is. So these lines could be meaningless unless you're a fan of the time and you saw the production credit. Mm-hmm. But it's then, just fun. Yeah, it is fun that he's calling it out. And then he does the same thing with the third line, Vanity 6 is so sweet. Mm-hmm. So at this time, you know, he's also launching the Vanity 6 project um, and his, at the time, girlfriend. Yeah. Vanity. So um, in this one, he's a little kinder. They're so sweet. Well, yeah. Well, because Denise Matthews was his girlfriend, and she was an obedient protege. Yes. Yeah, she did. She did what he wanted her to do. At least for a couple years. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the time of this recording, yes. he was he was pleased with her. She was yeah. obedient, and he liked. Yeah. Her. Yeah. Plus, the Vanity Six project was fairly new, so I'm sure that it was in his best interest to kind of. Promote it a little bit. Um, yeah. At the same time. So, hey, you know, you like this song? Check out this band, Vanity Six, too. But then I like the, the last line is hilarious to me. Now you can all take a bite of my purple rock. So is he telling, who, who's he telling to take a bite of his purple rock? I don't know. The haters. <laughs> the haters. Break your teeth on it. Go ahead. I don't know. Maybe he's mad. At, maybe it's another dig at the time. Maybe it's the people who weren't giving him awards. Yeah, maybe. I don't maybe. know. I don't know, but it's funny. It is funny because, I mean, not to be too crass, but I mean, it, he's basically saying, suck my dick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really? I mean, that's what he's saying, but he's saying yes. it in a very creative way. Yeah. And in a way that, um, well, A, well, could get by the censors if it needed to get by the censors. And also kind of, you know, keeping with the theme that he is up beginning really in 1982 and this album with the whole purple yeah purple in 1999 yeah. purple is mentioned in this song here purple rock he's got a song called purple music that he recorded around this time that didn't get released so yeah, the cover of the album was purple. purple so mm-hmm. at this time in his career it was all about the purple um and so this is just another chance for him to kind of uh, cement that yeah his connection to that 
to that color. Yeah. And just like I said, it was a creative way of of, of saying something kind of dirty. So, <laughs> which he was an expert at. All right. So then after that little funny section <laughs> of uh, seemingly non sequiturs, uh-huh. we've got uh, more of the the repeated. Are you ready? Everybody sing the song now. Ooh. All right. Dance, music, sex, romance. Yep. And he keeps on going along with this for a little bit, and then he starts bringing in other um, other nationalities, races. He says uh, all the Negroes say, Puerto Ricans say, the white people. He gives white people another chance to, mm-hmm. to get it right. Um, <laughs> ask you know Japanese say it one more time. And so this is once again him getting everybody to sing it together. He wants all of these different races and, and nationalities to get together and party in this song, just like he has in so many other songs up to this point. Yeah. Well, and I just love that. It's so, we have something unifying his music. We're unified by it, but we're able to maintain our personal and cultural identities while we do it. Yeah. And I just love that. That's how it is. Cause I'll see this as arguments where people will say, Oh, Prince was an all lives matter guy. Look, he, you know, everybody is brought together by his music. And, but yes, everybody was brought together by his music, but we maintained our individuality and he found a way to both unify us and celebrate our diversity, which I thought was so great. So ahead of its time. And he really did that in his band too, up to really up to when Prince put a band together the bands were homogenous. You know, you had a Latinx band, you had a black band, you had a whatever, all white band, all, you know, everybody was homogenous. And that it was really important to Prince to have his band reflect the diversity that he saw in his audience. And yep. I just, it's so cool. Yeah, it's and what I like. It's kind of interesting because it calls back a little bit to Uptown, and which is another mm-hmm. episode that you and I did together. Yeah. Because in that one, he's got the line about the black, white, Puerto Rican, everybody's just a freaking. Mm-hmm. And here he calls out black, white, and Puerto Rican yep. <laughs> to, to sing. But now he adds Japanese. So he's even including more more nationalities into this, uh, into this uh, credo of dance, music, sex, romance that he's mm-hmm. presented to us. So it's it's cool. Maybe maybe in the next one they'd be um, I don't know uh, Colombian, uh, <laughs> uh, Chinese, Norwegian. Uh, <laughs> sure, you know, <laughs> you never know what would have been Whatever. next. Yeah, another opportunity to um, call out another nationality. But uh, yeah, I mean the sentiment is obviously there. The sentiment is everybody dance, music, sex, romance. Call it out, party, because this is really all still about the call and response. There's a lot of voices in the background, and this is just the part of the song where it just keeps going. It extends it over and over, and it's it's. I think it's extended out at this point. I feel like it is just to keep the groove going, to keep the party going. Nobody wants it to stop, you know. Yeah. So how do you keep how do you keep a party going? You just keep getting crowd interaction. Like oh yeah. maybe the Japanese were feeling a little left out. Hey, I'm gonna call them out because. Mm-hmm. I, I want their participation too. We got to keep this going. Got to keep the parties going and through the night. And um, and that's you know like I said, a lot of what this song is doing at this point. It may feel like it's just starting to get repetitive, but 
um, I, I really feel like it's done this way and extended out this way to just to keep the vibe going, keep yeah. the vibe of the song going, and it and it still works. But then we've got this uh, the part at the end, very end, yeah. Uh, and then as the, as the party continues on, you hear a, a female voice, and I I looked um, actually because I wasn't sure who it sounded like. Part of me thought it maybe was Lisa or maybe even Prince doing a high pitch, you know, having his mm. voice pitched up or something like that. So I, I went to um, one of my frequent podcast guests, Zachary Hoskins' blog, which is aptly titled Dance Music Sex Romance uh-huh. um, at theprincesongs.org. And he wrote about DMSR, and he cites the um, the voice as being Lisa's. So that was my okay. initial thought. I just didn't want to assume that. Right. You know, there's a lot of other women um, on the song, a lot of background vocalists. You know, Jill Jones was around at this right. time. So I didn't want to assume that, but um, Zachary, I think, cites it as being Lisa. And so for unless somebody corrects me, um, I'm going to you know, stick with that. But anyway. Yeah, he's pretty reliable. He does his research. Yeah, yeah. And Lisa's voice is all over um, in yeah. these albums, so it, it wouldn't surprise me. So anyways, uh, Lisa, we're going to say Lisa, starts yelling out in a very kind of frantic tone. Somebody call the police. Help me. Help me. Somebody please help me. And it's not sung like, or he's not, it's not said in a kind of a calm tone, you know, like the, not the Lisa Pullman of head where it's done very monotone or kind of sexual. This sounds like somebody desperate, somebody. Yeah. It's unsettling. It is a little unsettling. So I know that you and Josh talked a little bit about this. Um, I mean, what were your thoughts when you heard this other than just being unsettling? Anything? Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's kind of a pattern. We came to realize that it's a pattern at the end of the songs on this album. It's a, it's a doomsday album. It's a celebration of the end of the world. You know, at the end of 1989, we get kind of a creepy child. Why does everybody have a bomb? We have, an unexpected baby coup at the end of delirious. You've got the very, very graphic lyrics at the end of let's pretend we're married. Then we've got this here where this woman is calling for help and it's unsettling and it's, you're unsure if anybody called for help. Then at the end of automatic, we get kind of some mournful wails Mm -hmm. and then we don't get so much lyrics, but something in the water, all the critics love you in New York and international lover kind of use some instrumental techniques to give you this confused, uneasy, unsettling feeling. So I think it was something that he was playing with to remind you, Hey, this is a dance song, but there's a bigger picture here. So, yeah. yeah. Tying tying the music back to the theme of the entire album. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean Yeah, I don't I don't know what to make of it other than I don't know how else to explain it or understand it other than looking at this bigger context that yeah, we have all this stuff going on and I want more want more of the story. I mean, eight and a half minutes wasn't enough to tell me what happened to this lady at the end. <laughs> Right, and so yeah, there's a lot of questions that it it really it really uh, asks more questions than it answers. Yeah, <laughs> because it ends so abruptly after this this woman calls for help, 
and asking somebody to call the police. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the theory of it just being in line with what he's been doing with it for most of this record with adding some kind of unsettling elements to what seemingly are party songs, because this is yeah. one of the most blatant party song on the record. Well, 1999 feels... is a party song, but there's also a lot of lyrics about the end of the world, so we kind of know what it's about. It's not hidden. Yeah, yeah this but I mean, this just... song is just like, you know, everybody's having a good time, everybody's having fun, and then yeah. and then there's this. Yeah, you don't see it coming. You don't see no. it coming. Or you don't mm. hear it coming. Um, there's no indication that anything is amiss or awry during this party everybody's dancing everybody's partying and all of a sudden you got this so yeah. you've got the one theory about it being you know just a thematic choice that he used to to kind of remind us that despite this fun-ass party we're having in dmsr yeah. there's still these social ills and this end of the world theme going on in this record or uh, another thing that i kind of thought when i would hear it um, for many years is that it's maybe like the party's almost gone on too long. It's like somebody needs help because I'm not talking like, you know, taking drugs or any alcohol overdoses or anything like that. It's just more like I'm having so much fun. I can't stop partying. Somebody needs to help me. Oh, <laughs> and that's that's almost like uh, that's what I had thought about for many, many years. It's like somebody is just overdosing on fun, overdosing oh. on dancing and partying and having a good time like just overwhelmed with this um with this feeling of i don't know euphoria or joy or whatever that the song and then the music gives them that they need help <laughs> they need yeah. help because it is just too intense that's another one that i've kind of thought of over the years whenever you know i'd listened to through the end of the song uh-huh and so and then there's also a theory that I read, and I think it was on Zach's blog, where he had cited. So I'm going to give the credit to Zach because I hadn't heard, I hadn't thought of this myself. Okay. So I got to give the credit to Zach. But his blog and his writings on this song, one alternate interpretation is that it's somebody calling the police on the party. Oh, like they're too loud. <laughs> yeah, like somebody. I don't know why they would need help. You know, the somebody oh, call right. the police part makes sense. Like somebody call the police. These people are partying all night and I can't get any sleep. Or somebody's like really upset because, you know, like we've seen, unfortunately, in fairly recent past where uh, parties are getting people, uh, white people are calling the police on these black there were, parties. There were Karens back in 1982. <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. And so, you know, I mean, it's just a theory. It's just a theory. But yeah. But that's that's one more. It's like somebody who's just not part of the party, who isn't down down with the cause, and is a little intimidated by all of these people getting together, all these black, white, yeah. Puerto Rican, Japanese people having this party, and they're a little, little intimidated. They feel uneasy, so they they want to put an end to it, and so they're calling the police, and they they're claiming they need help. So we've got a few theories here that we okay expounded on to on this episode so we'll see if anybody is uh interested in chiming in and providing one more because yeah i don't none of us really know none no of us really. i'm open to all theories yeah i like all three of them to be honest yeah so i'm i'm cool with all three yeah okay so yeah that's the end of the song that's how the song ends so as much partying and much uh, fun as we're having up to this point uh-huh. um Prince chose to end it on a downer. So yeah, big time, but still like, 
interesting to think about and talk about and explore a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it it absolutely makes the song interesting. Is even if even if you're scratching your head at the choice, yeah. one thing one thing it does is make you think, and it certainly makes us you know kind of wonder what was what was the point of that, what was the purpose behind it. So, got to give it to him on that one. He's making us think, even when we're supposed to be partying. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, yeah, this has been the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. I've been your host, Jason Brenninger. Thanks again to uh, Christy Norman from the Mountains and the Sea podcast for joining me. Appreciate you coming on again and, and providing your insight and your unique take on these Prince songs, Christy. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'd love to be back anytime. Okay, well, I will take you up on that and uh, I'll talk to you later. All right, awesome. Thanks so much. All right, goodbye. <laughs>